Hello again, everyone. I'm Mike Penna. Welcome to this special presentation of our HRRN Legends series, where we spend some time visiting with people who have been successful in other careers while also taking an interest in thoroughbred racing. Not long ago, I had the privilege to sit down with country music superstar Toby Keith shortly before his concert at Rupp Arena in Lexington, Kentucky. Toby and his manager, Mitch, were kind enough to invite me to stop by his tour bus a couple hours before the show. And although we started off talking about Toby's determined rise to the top of the country music world, our conversation quickly turned to his love of horse racing. He's got the red, white, blue, blind, on Proud Oklahoma native, Toby is 100% made in America. With 20 number one hits and 21 additional songs having made their way into the top 10, Toby is one of country music's most recognizable voices. But his journey to the top didn't exactly start out on a high note. When I was working in the oil field, the oil field crashed in 83, and I was just playing weekends like with a bar band, just a garage band. And I was writing songs, and we were just playing, like, getting $35 a piece to go in and free beer, play Friday night, Saturday night in the little bitty taverns, you know, and then work all week in the oil field. And in 83, 84, the oil field busted and went completely, completely bust. And I was like, I don't, other than the oil field and singing and writing songs, I don't really do much good. I, I don't really know where what to go pursue you know and where do you start over at you know and I could weld a little bit I thought you want to be a welder or what and I thought you know what let's give music I do it good so let's just I write good songs and and uh, sing a little bit let's just go see what's out there so we packed up I got five guys that wanted to hit the road we got a booking agent out of San Antonio and he started booking his five and six nighters and we just started hitting the bars and working a different town every week. That decision proved a wise one, but there were still plenty of lean years ahead and no shortage of challenges to overcome. We worked in nightclubs in the southwest part of the U.S., Texas, Colorado, New Mexico, Oklahoma for five or six years, playing five, six nights a week, making about, now this was in late 80s, early 90s, so, you know, we're making... 2500 a week, splitting it between six guys, buying gas, paying for insurance, buying motel room. So you're really just sending about 280, 300 bucks to the house every week, you know? And you got a family and everybody's going, are you crazy? And then, uh, fortunately, I got a recording contract with Mercury and it was more blessed to even have, should have been a cowboy, be the first single. And it got the doors open. And as soon as I got things rolling, had a couple of hits, the label got in a fight. The president and the vice president. Vice president signed me. President had some other acts. They got in an argument over what artists they should pursue. And they busted up and they sent the vice president to another label called Polydor. And he took me with him. 
Well, then they needed an album every year to hit their bottom line because all their acts were new acts except me. Then he retired, and I went to A&M. Then I came back to Mercury, and then that's when hell broke loose. <laughs> I was back with the original guy that was fighting with my, my guy, and we were arguing over what music to release, and they turned an album down. And I went and bet my whole career on it. I said, either drop me or put this album out. And uh, and they they dropped me. They didn't put the album out. So I did something that they said no one had ever done. I bought. I went back in and gave them a couple hundred grand, bought the album, went over and sold it to DreamWorks and signed with DreamWorks. And it was How You Like Me Now album, and it sold three and a half million. was album of the year. How do you like me now? With his musical career off and running, Toby would eventually be able to spend more time focusing on his other love, horse racing. And like so many others, it was a love that began at a young age. My dad would take me to the track, and he loved to go to the racetrack. And his best friends growing up in a small town raised their own, uh, were in the horse business. Their nephew was a trainer, and uh, the oldest one, EJ, was had some mares and would and would always have a little speedball going somewhere, you know. And they hung out with old man Don, old man Von Hemon and uh, Van Berg and Paul Smith, the mole cats, man. So he would always have three or four new two-year-olds come out every year. And so my dad would go watch their horses run, and he really enjoyed it. And I told him, I said, uh, tell them buy your horse and I'll buy it for you. So he did. And they said, well, just buy half in the best one we've got this year. And his, they named it Jack Branch after EJ's dad. And the first start at Remington Park made in special way to win. Easy. And it made my dad so happy that I bought three or four more. And then bought a couple of mares and then built a farm and just kept. So from 97 on, I've been in it. For more than two decades, Toby has enjoyed considerable success on both the racing and breeding ends of the thoroughbred business. His 300-acre Dreamwalking Farms in Pauls Valley, Oklahoma, has provided the perfect setting to raise a good horse, and for Toby, the name Dreamwalking was the perfect fit. About the time I built my farm, that song had been a hit, it was the name of an album, and I just thought it made a great song I wrote called Dreamwalking, and I thought, that's what you're really doing in the horse business, is you're, you're walking, you're dreamwalking. You're trying to get there every day. And it's not a lot of people that have come and went, but if you stay through the low times, it's because you love it. Dreamwalking Farms is consistently among the winningest stables in racing. But could Toby ever imagine he would reach those lofty levels when he first started? I'm very competitive, and I knew once I got in it, I mean, I know that if you're breeding 100 mares, I, I get a bigger kick and a bigger thrill out of... Uh, raising a good baby you know what I mean and you got your mare you create the breeding you raise the baby and then you know smack smack goes out and makes a million dollars reckless Jerry runs in all the big races at Oakland you know uh, Cactus Ridge undefeated two year old 
and a stallion for 10 years. You know, the horses that I buy and run are exhilarating and fun, but uh, there's always a special thing when you got a homebred, when they, when they go, here's the trainer, here's the jockey, owned by and bred by. It's like, yeah, that's who did that. And what does the Oklahoma native enjoy most about being in the horse business? I like when it's at Remington Park. It's wintertime. I'm home. And I know four nights a week I got something to do. I like to go get in my suite, fire up the other tracks on the screen, maybe get the football game going on a screen, get a couple other tracks going, walk out on the deck, and watch them run. And it's just as exhilarating to win a $5,000 claimer as it is win a $100,000 stake. I, you know, when they're coming for home and they go to the front, that's, that's it. To hear the hoofs pound coming down the lane, what, going down the paddock and watching them saddle, uh, seeing how well a horse come back off of a layoff, watching a baby bloom. You know, you go over three on a two-year-old and you miss a month while you're switching tracks and all of a sudden somebody goes, this, this little two-year-old's turned into a three-year-old all of a sudden. He's put on 100 pounds and yeah. 150 pounds, and all of a sudden you're running at him again. So just the whole – I've had horses didn't win until they was four years old and then they won four stakes, but – I've had them go undefeated as a two-year-old, never won another race. So you never know. It's always like the weather. It's going to change. You know, you keep, if you keep winning and keep running, you're going to get beat. And if you keep losing and keep running, sometimes you'll, you'll get cheap enough and win. Winning any race at any level is always a major rush for Toby. So much so that the feeling might come close to the thrill of walking on stage in front of thousands of screaming fans. I guess the rush you could compare it to is if, like, if you do a surprise appearance, you know, like Van Halen was playing one time. Sammy Hagar was with him, and he's an old friend of mine, and they were playing close to my house. And he said, uh, you know I do, I love this bar, my song, I love this bar. He goes, you know I do that in the middle of the show acoustically. So won't you show up tonight? in front of your hometown and walk out there while I'm doing it and give me the old, uh-uh, uh-uh, this is not the way it goes, and then show me how it's done. I said, okay, now you walk out there, that that's a big explosion. You know, that's what we call a pop. And those kind of things might compare, but when you do a show every night like we do, it's just you know what's first, you know what's last, you know what's next. And we just get out there and get it. But I think the reason horse the comparison between a stake and a $5,000 clamber, it just happens to be the race that's in front of you. So, yeah, it's a $5,000 clamber winning, but it's a $5,000 race. They're still running against his competition. So it's it's like watching a junior high basketball game, NBA game. You're still pulling for your team. That love of horses would also lead to a special moment with his daughter, Crystal, at the Keeneland September sale. She had some money that she, she wanted to invest, her and her husband. They said, they said, we got some money we want to invest. And I said, well, I've got a really good mare. You buy a stud feed, and I'll full share with you, and we'll just sell the baby. And she bought a Bernardini, and, uh, and I made it to uh, Cactus Ridge's sister, a Giants Causeway. Really nice. Big colt, uh, filly that was injured, and... and uh, Giants Causeway out of Double Park, which was Cactus Ridge's first down, and everybody thought she was going to be a world beater. And I really like Giants Causeway broodmares. And I said, let's give this a run. So they, Brad Bernadine had a really nice coat, and somebody gave a lot of money for it. I don't remember how much it was, two or three hundred thousand or something. 
So she basically, uh, her first horse deal was successful. So I got a hook in her now. <laughs> but she got excited. And then she she bought another one the same year. And I had a little speedball named Seeking Miss Shelley that ran down at New Orleans and uh, ran Louisiana for Joe Duhon about six years. Won some stakes and was just a burner. Just could get it. And always had stomach problems. I think she only had 24 starts in five-year career. And hit the board like 19 times and won a bunch of stakes and just could, if she got out on front, they couldn't catch her. Seeking Miss Shelley, two lengths and back of good deed as they turn the corner on the outside. Driven along now as they come down toward the final three sixteenths is bounding by. Good deed in front. Taken on by Seeking Miss Shelley, who now strikes the front. A furlong to go. Seeking Miss Shelley, edging clear from Good Deed. Between horses, Lane and staying on with Brown Eyes Blue. On the outside is Swift Artist. It's Seeking Miss Shelley and Roman Chapa. Seeking Miss Shelley, now a 13-time winner. So I bred her to Malibu Moon. We had a colt, and he had a few problems in his front end. And so you know they was going to pick him apart to sell. So I said, sell the good one. Make your money. Get it all off. Get your money off the board. And then we'll run this one. You'll have a horse. So she does have a horse to race. She's got a nice Malibu Moon Colt. If I'd have, if I'd have bombed on her, she'd have been saying, I want my money back. In recent years, Dream Walking Farms has been a mainstay at the top of the owner's standings, consistently winning enough races to land in the top 30 among all owners in North America, even ranking as high as 15th by number of wins in 2015 and 12th in 2016. I was sure to point out those lofty numbers to Toby, and when I asked him what it meant to be ranked ahead of other top owners like Windstar, Calumet, and Mike Rapoli, he responded, like only Toby Keith could. Till you just told me it didn't mean Jack. <laughs> <laughs> What's it mean now? Well, it's nice to know, but uh, that, like I said earlier, it's a, it's a tough business. I would say volume is probably what got us there, but I'd rather have 12 wins on that list and win a Breeders' Cup or something. But I race so many homebreds that we're bound to win some of them, so... I'm not patting myself on the back too much for it. It wouldn't take long for the humble Keith to experience success at the greatest stakes level, while at the same time learning quickly why it's said that the sport of thoroughbred racing can provide the highest highs and the lowest lows. Three quarters, one, ten, and two. They turn for home. Cactus Ridge in front. Down to the final furlong. Cactus Ridge holding on to the lead now. In front by three. Twitter gem. Corbin Gold. Texas deputy toward the rail. They're coming inside the final half of Furlong. Cactus Ridge. It is Cactus Ridge, the son of Hennessy. Heads of Arlington undefeated. He broke his maiden at Arlington. Win by 15 at Canterbury. Win by about six or something there at Ellis. Then he won the, went back to Arlington and won the uh, Washington Arlington grade three. And we were four for four and, and one of the favorites, I think Coovey, we were going to go against Coovey that yeah. year maybe? Yeah, I think that's right. And it was going to be a showdown between him and Coovey who could get that extra, was it another 16th or an eighth or something? Yeah. We were going to have to run the Breeders' Cup. And they didn't think he could get a mile and uh, never changed leads, any four races, never in second place and never under the whip. And I was like, what are they going to do when they ask this horse finally? Because he could just get to the lead and wait on everybody and then just run off from them down the lane. I was like, what's he gonna, how's he going to respond when they ask him for something? And 
and then he, he broke down. It was really tragic. Although his racing career would come to an abrupt end, Cactus Ridge would go on to prove his quality in the breeding shed. Uh, Johnny TL, my buddy Jones, Johnny Jones, he, he stood him over at his farm. We got over 100 mares to him, and Hot Cha Cha made a million, and I think there was a filly named Portofino run fourth in the Breeders' Cup turf. Hollywood Hit might have been one of the fastest sprinters in North America, won five or six high-graded sprints. And then I had Seeking Miss Shelley. He was always, his, his horses, he's one of those horses that his babies tried. He was hard to handle. And when you'd look at them, their eyes, would, they'd cut their eyes at you and stuff and, and would stomp and kick, and, and a lot of them were hard to handle. They weren't, weren't very tame animals. And you could tell that his progeny had the same thing because they always, wherever level they fit, they always tried. And I've had other, dealt with other sires that I believed in and bred to, and, and none of them, you know. I always said, I had one sire, I said, they all run the same. They get out of the gate last and get worse. Much like his brilliant music career, Toby's horse racing operation was ascending to the top of the charts. Talented homebreds such as Sebastian County, Seeking Miss Shelley, Ghost Locket, and current stable star Three Chords would provide Keith with more memorable performances. But it was his keen eye for pedigree that led to another Greatest Stakes victory. They kick on for home now. Cyrus Alexander to the outside of Smavalis. Pain and misery's in contention. So too is Smack Smack there as well. Domain's a wrap. We have a wide open race here in the Cornhusker Handicap. Pain and misery on the outside. And Smack Smack is right there too. Smavalis is there. Shotgun Cowboy. Hawakam is even getting into it from the inside. Code West there too. Smack Smack. Smack Smack. Pain and misery. Shotgun Cowboy. Smack Smack in between horses to win. I wanted to keep that mare. I bought that mare's, I bought his second dam over here for 35000 and I bought it off of uh, the big Canadian farm up there. And the people who they sent down here to sell it said it was their favorite mare, big old dapple gray mare. And she, she was in Fold of Whiskey Wisdom, and I think I gave 32000 for her or something. And they came over and thanked me. So we didn't want to sell this mare, and she was a with approval, and she was the only mare in the pedigree. She's the only filly in the pedigree under her first dam. The other three were colts. She only had four babies, and two with approval male colt stakes winners. She's a with approval, made forty-five thousand, and then maybe another colt by somebody else, another sire that was a stakes winner. So there's like two or three stakes winners out four babies, and she's a full to two of these with approvals. And the pedigree, I loved it. And so, well, she red bagged and didn't, didn't have my whiskey wisdom. And then I came back and bred her 13, 14, 15 times. Well, when I bred her to Victor Gallup, that's one of the fillies I kept. That's Smack Smack's mother. So the old gray mare showed up. Toby will always have a special place in his heart for Cactus Ridge and Smack Smack. But if he could win just one race? I don't think there's anything more prestigious than the Kentucky Derby, but... If you want money, you got to go to Dubai. Everybody wants to win that for the cash, but I would certainly take the Derby. But Derby or the Breeders' Cup should be the race I'd want to win, I think. And if he could sing only one song? I say this because it was my first one. It should have been a cowboy. And because if it wouldn't have been, it should have been a cowboy, you might not have heard that next 50 song. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. It kicked all the doors down. I should have been a cowboy. 
take me inside your house for a minute. When I walk in, I'm sure we're going to see plenty of memorabilia on the musical side of things, yeah. but how about on the horse racing side? What am I going to see there? Well, the some of it, I've got a giant man cave, so most of my big horse stuff's in my man cave, but we keep all of the local stuff up in my suite at, the, at Remington Park. So I've got a lot of smack smack stuff up there. I've got a lot of cactus ridges stuff up there. Stuff that people, other horse people walk in and visit my suite, they'll know from being if they're Remington Park people and run that circuit, you know. That Remington Park circuit's kind of Remington, Oakland, Prairie Meadows. That's kind of the three where everybody moves their horses. So that circuit right there, I kind of keep my Prairie Meadows, my Oakland, and my Remington Park stuff in there because those are the people that will drop by. With as much success as Toby's had over the years, he still finds himself tweaking his approach, at least on the racing side of things. I've got some really good guys, that, friends of mine that love racing that have, that are partnering with me now, and I never had any partners. And I pinhooked for a long time. And a lot of the horses, if you look back to horses we pinhooked, a lot of them you know, went on to win great big races. And I, I like to buy 10 or 12 and sell 4 or 5, and and get a little cash off the table and then, and then run the ones that maybe had baby problems or weren't quite ready to be, you know, two-year-old. They weren't very precocious. So, But it seemed like every time I sold some, they went on to be great horses, and the ones I kept weren't. My homebreds always outrun them. So I finally just said, you know what, I'm going to cut my broodmare band back. So I cut back about 80 broodmares in the last three years. I weeded them down. I've kept my best 2021 mares, and I'm leaving them over here in Kentucky. And I've got about 10 or 15 at home and a couple stallions there that I'm trying for oaky bread. And then I'm just going to race all my yearlings I buy. We're just going to make a run at them. We're going to stay a little more Tiffany for a little while. In the music business, we're just status quo. We're just going to keep – I ride every year, and at the end of the year I put albums together – it just turns out my stuff's still country, and they don't play country anymore. But, <laughs> but I'm not gonna write the other stuff. So, but it's been a great 25 years, and like that you're gonna see tonight, it looks just like it would have 10 years ago when we get in there. So as long as that part's going, I'll be out here. And when it don't, I'll just spend more days at the Caneland sale. Well, it sure was a lot of fun to sit down and visit with Toby, and I'm sure nobody would complain if Toby Keith were to start spending a little more of his time at the sales and around the racetrack. One thing's for sure, Toby is as good now with his music and his horses as he ever was. I, ain't as good as I, once was. I hope you enjoyed this special HRRN Legends show. My thanks to Toby's road manager, Mitch, to his farm manager, Lyndon Branch, and to the country music superstar himself, Toby Keith, for making this interview and this show possible. Until next time, I'm your host, Mike Penna. Thanks for listening to this special presentation of HRRN Legends on the Horse Racing Radio Network. I